Hello, my name is Kristen and I am obsessed with all things play-based and child-led learning. Truly obsessed. I am here to help you navigate the messy and the magical on your journey to a play-based program. It is truly magical on the other side and I want you to feel each day what I feel when I walk into my classroom. I am the homeschool mama to four. I'm the founder of a play and nature-based preschool and forest school and I am here to cheer you on. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's get going. Today on the Play-Based Learning Podcast, I am so excited to have a special guest here. Today we are talking with Sally Hoy. Sally started her teaching journey in 1996 and then in 2010, she yearned to share her ideas on a larger platform, so she created Fairy Dust Teaching, I'm sure you've heard of it, that is built on the passion for the wonder and the magic of really childhood. Sally believes that young children have the right to play, to be collaborators in learning, and to dream and since then, Fairy Dust Teaching has become a global platform for early childhood educators from all walks of life to learn more about wonder-based education. Sally's teaching philosophy has let her travel the globe, goals, <laughs> sharing her knowledge and experience with teachers in Vietnam, Canada, Europe, and the United States, and even the Philippines. Her literary works include The Wonder Art Workshop, which was published in 2019, and Through a Child's Eyes, where she co-authored with Sandra Duncan and Jody Martin. And she and Sandra Duncan are working on another book together called The Honeycomb Series, with a tentative release in 2021. Sally also has the Play First Summit coming up in July, July 12th through the 16th. And you can find out more information about that in the notes for the podcast, as well as the link to get registered. It's a free online virtual summit and you will be blown away. So you're gonna wanna make sure that you get on, on that action ASAP. So head to the show notes after you listen to the interview and click on that link. All right, let's get going. Hi, Sally. Hey, welcome to the Playlist Learning Podcast. I'm so, so excited that you're here. I'm so excited that I get to pick your brain for the next however long. And we have a really fun little ditty here plan. But first, I want you to tell people who you are and like what you do. Yeah. So Sally Hoy and I have this incredible uh, path of being with Fairy Dust Teaching a blog that I started as a kindergarten teacher in 2010. And it just kept growing and growing. And in 2011, I offered my first course, which is really funny, oh because God. it was completely, you know, handwritten, there was no recordings, like I didn't even know how to make a recording, you know, well, like, and the password into those courses that year was the same for every person. Oh. Like I had <laughs> I had no capacity with technology, but I had a passion for sharing, yes. you know, what works in the classroom, like the tried and true, like the truth against the rubber on the cement. And uh, it just kept growing and growing. And it's been exhilarating to tell oh, you the truth. It's been play, <laughs> right? It's been yeah. your play. That's phenomenal. Is. Isn't it a great thing to be able to live 
in a, a capacity where your life is play and you yeah. just get to live that. Like we're so lucky to be able to do that. And that's what I hope for other people too. I agree. Yeah. And anything that doesn't feel like play, we don't do at fairy dust teaching. Yes. Yeah. It's that's- really the, the, it's the gold standard. Yes. Right? <laughs> if it's not play, don't do it. That's right. Back away, back away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we are going to do some fun word association. Um, I think maybe this is really just my way and my brain's way of saying, I don't know what questions to ask this amazing woman named Sally. So we're going to just throw some words out and let her riff on them. Um, And she loved the idea. So are you ready for the first one? I am. Okay. So I have like one, two, three, I have like five, but then I have like a real left field one. Something that I've been wanting to hear somebody talk about. (laughs) And uh, it has nothing. I don't know. It'll be funny to see your reaction to it. Okay. The first word is intentionality. Yeah. So intentionality, I think is for me is the heart of teaching. Like if someone came to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be a new teacher you know, what really matters, what I would say is intention is the sculpting power of a teacher. It's like, it actually creates the space you walk into. So I think it actually sets the space. So my intention to create community and my commitment to that intention, my intentionality there creates community for children. My intention to have every child seen, heard, and, you know, valued for who they are and my commitment to that intention. So you can, do you see what I'm saying? I think intention is the, is really the biggest tool in our toolkit. Oh my gosh. You just threw out like so many bits of like gold right there. (laughs) I was trying to write it all down so I could quote you later. (laughs) We have to go back and listen because it was like the whole, every single bite you just said was gold. Intention is the sculpting power of a teacher. I love that. And I think, you know, again, I'm a, a, a philosophical person. I'm a reflector. So I spent 30 years reflecting on teaching. Mm-hmm. And that's where intention to me is this powerful place of being for an educator. Yeah. That to me is the radar children feel like a, a substitute teacher walks in and they don't have intention. They're, they're toast. They're freaking toast because <laughs> I... <laughs> Because I think it's that, you know, I don't know what, you know, I, I haven't really talked about this in a, in a way that I have the verbiage for it, but it's like that invisible force that we, like, if someone walks up to you with really good intentions and wants to know you and support you, you feel it. You do. But there's someone up coming up and they're going to start manipulating you. You feel it, you know, if you're aware. Yes. So I think it's a really powerful tool in the classroom and one that holds us to account for who we are and what we do. Wow. I've never, I haven't like, I haven't thought of like being around other people in the world as like reading their intention, but it is so true. And that all comes back to like the relationships that we have with children. And if they can sense that your intention Like if they can sense, um, you know, sometimes how as an educator, you don't, you don't click with a certain child or your own personal biases, make it so that you aren't providing them the best 
um, the best environment for that child, like they can feel that intention and therefore like it's kind of broken off the get-go. And I think this really shows up like in, in fact, I have classroom management courses I wrote that now like I want to delete them because I hate the word classroom management. Same. same. I yes. just want to like, you know, just erase it from existence. Me too. You know? What do you use instead? I think really, I haven't figured out exactly maybe guidance, but that's even okay. kind of, of so I I just wanna, social yeah. and emotional support is what I have exchanged. I like it. I like it because yeah. really I'm a co-traveler with the children. Right. And yeah. I think intention, the way it showed, and really my wisdom has come from having experienced my own hidden intentions. And I think there's hidden intentions you can have. So like you, ha I remember having a very difficult child in my classroom. I had never experienced it before. And prior to that point, people called me Mary Poppins. So I was full of myself. I'm like, I'm so good. You know, the children listen, yes. you know, like that old <laughs> model of, of yeah. education. And so this child inside the intention was to get it fixed. Mm -hmm. And one day I got really clear. What if someone's intention towards me was to fix me? How would I feel? Yes. Like his behavior was unworkable in the classroom. So I needed to fix him versus the intention of how can I support you? And that was the, tran it was 2008. It was the transformational moment for me in my career where yeah. I really catapulted in my personal growth because I, and I think it was in that moment, I really got, I have to treat children as I want to be treated. Mm-hmm or I can't be surprised by their reaction or their lack of connection. That is like so beautiful. I really wish I was as philosophical as you. Like everything is so, it's like rainbows coming out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh Not always. God. I'm so happy. Um, yeah. I think, so if somebody, <clears throat> okay. So if you have an educator, an early childhood educator who, um, mm, is set in their ways or doesn't have, hasn't had that, or doesn't even have the capacity to reflect on their practice or maybe the drive to reflect on their practice. Um, how could we model intentionality for those people in the classroom? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, the, the I think the pandemic brought this battle cry out across the globe. Why educate? Why are we there? Yeah. And if you really are clear about what you're up to in the classroom, then I think that's a powerful first step because that becomes your decision-making point to check in with yourself. Okay. So here, because, you know, anyone in early childhood knows every year is a new year. You never know how it's going to go. Mm -hmm. You never know how your administrators, your super, I mean, there's all these, your colleagues, yes. all of it. There's just this huge community around you. And some years are great. Some years are not as good. Yeah. And so I think to, to know what you're committed to, so then you can act upon that commitment, not your reactions, not your defense, because there's never, you know, even in the classroom, like there's nothing to defend unless you decide there's something to defend. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like you're literally, it's your kingdom. It's your place to stand for children. Mm -hmm. And I've been in really academic settings as a play-based educator and had people honor that. 
because I was standing in what's best for the children. And no one's going to argue with that if you yes. really speak it powerfully. Yeah. But, but I think we also owe it to our colleagues and the parents and our administrators to speak it powerfully. Wow. Okay. That was intentionality. <laughs> you ready for the next one? Yeah. Okay. Which one do I want to do? Um, let's do creativity. Mm, so creativity is like one of my favorite words ever. I was an art uh, artist before I became a educator. I went to fine art school. I'm a painter. Ooh, yeah. I didn't know so, that either. Yeah. So I love doing huge paintings. I love doing watercolors. I love clay. So of course, Reggio Emilia approach and the hundred languages is like, you know, breathing to me. Yeah. Um, and providing that for children was really easy for me because that's what I do. You know, that's my, another form of play. Yeah. But I think what's so interesting is that creativity is, is not supported. And in the way that I, that I see it, which we've all heard, like we have the factory model of education yeah. where it's just assembly line, you know, and here comes little Johnny for the four-year-old class, like yeah. in Oklahoma, we have universal four-year-olds and we have the benchmarks and the standard boom, process yeah. them, boom, move them on. And yeah. Unfortunately, that processing has quality control assessments, mm -hmm. even at four years old that take yeah. hours per child, which mm -hmm. is insane. Been there, done that. Yep. But what happens is, is there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. There's a correct answer. There's an incorrect answer. Mm -hmm. There's the idea that this child, you know, as the educator, we're the factory worker filling the information in their little heads, processing them and moving them on. And it's all product driven. Yeah. And so where does creativity fit in that model? Mm -hmm. So we teach it out of children. We do. And what's so interesting is I, I, when I was in Oklahoma and an educator for about a decade, I also had a weekend job because I didn't make enough money. <laughs> right. <laughs> the story of our lives. Exactly. As a museum educator. And when I, when I noticed, I, I was asked to develop curriculum for fourth grade, which is what's hilarious because I have as much relationship to what it means <laughs> to be a fourth grader as like to, you know, to college. But I, I was excited and I did that and collaborated with other fourth grade educators, but they called me in and said, the teaching artist that's going to do the curriculum can't show up today. Can you go in and do the substitution since you created the curriculum? I said, absolutely. And what I was so surprised was the activity had no model to copy. Mm -hmm. And here were all these fourth graders. So when I primarily worked with four and three, five-year-olds and you give them openness and they run for it. Fourth grade, they were like, I don't know how, show me what it should look like. Like literally the demand of those 30 kids is they wanted to know mm -hmm. what the outcome was so they can make the outcome. And I really got present to, the creativity has been stripped from them. They need permission for each step. Yes. And I literally had to spend 15 minutes setting them up for not knowing how it was going to turn out and that it was the process we were going to enjoy. Oh my gosh. And you know that um, if you look up any book on creativity, 
Most of them, like, because I, this is a topic that I adore as well. Yes. Most of the books that are on creativity are teaching adults how to be creative. And it's like, I, I'm our, I, I don't need to learn how to be creative. I, I've got this, but I just like, I want to know more about creativity in general. And yeah. one of the things that I've been pondering lately is, is creativity and play the same thing? I absolutely think play is the ground of creativity because what do you do in play is you explore, you're experimenting, you're making mistakes, you're failing over and over again. You know, like any art uh, professor worth their salt would tell us the first thousand pieces are going to suck, Get, you yeah. know, prepare yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the, it's not the outcome. I mean, like if you get a decent painting out of the deal, oh my gosh. You know, but it's not that it's the, the movement of light on the canvas. It's the color. It's the, the, it's just so rich and that's play. It's not the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love. Like one of my favorite things ever in the early childhood classroom, and this is on my blog is doing collaborative art mm -hmm. and having the kids pouring paint onto the canvas together and then gluing things. And I would say potion making, we put beads and things, and they'd stir it up and pour it on. And, and at the end, we'd have this painting that I would have died to have the skill to do, Right. but it was their non-attachment <laughs> enjoyment of the moment. And I had parents buying these pieces of art to hang in their dining room, their living room, because they're so free. Yeah. You can't, you know, that's, it takes like Picasso say, it takes a lifetime to become young, to lose all that conditioning. It does. Do you it's feel just... like you ha are that young? Do you feel like you are that young? <laughs> I, I work on it. You know, yeah. I, I love, I'm a goofball at heart, you know, like I love playing. I love I love choosing, like our, you know, you said this is me like play. Like I view my life as a sandbox. And yeah. if someone comes in and plays in my sandbox, it's not fun to play with. I throw them out. Yeah. You know? I'm like, that's, that's not fun. You, you know, especially seriousness. Like people get too serious on me. I'm yeah. like, you know, like we, I can't, I don't have time to get intense. You know, like I have launches that go up and and then we take them back down because it's not working. Oh, well, we'll do something different. Yeah. You know, like I fail at all the time, even in fairy dust, you know, and it's yeah. okay because at least I'm on the ground playing. Mm -hmm. I'm not overthinking it, you know, and yeah. do I mess up a hundred percent, but it's fun. It is. Have you read the book? Have you read the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? Oh, you know, of course I love her work. Okay. Oh my gosh. So if yes. you haven't read that book, read it. Um, okay. So I call myself a creativity vampire because <laughs> so in the book, do you remember the story that she tells about how she feels like this book idea was transferred from her to her friend that she gets yes. when they were out at the cafe? I, so every time I, if I meet somebody new that I don't know, like I will casually find a way to just like touch, <laughs> just brush up against them or like try to like transfer their creativity to me. Cause I'm like, you never know who's willing to give something up if they're not using it. Like I'm going to get that. So yes. Yeah, so if you are, 
if I hug you, it's because I'm trying to suck <laughs> your creativity <laughs> from you, Sally. <laughs> but here's what I think is so great about what she was saying too, is that, and I think what she said here was really important is none of us really own any idea. You're right. Yes. We don't right. own it. And if you don't use it, it's going to the next person. Exactly. Just like that. And it's like, and I think there's like, cause sometimes you'll see, like you come out with an idea and then you think, well, I thought that, and yes. I've written on that and they're copying me. Well, they're across the globe. They have nothing yes. to do with you. They've never, they're not on, you know, no, it's like this universal soup of ideas. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. know, you just, and that's why, again, I think there's really no competition yeah. And anything. It's just who's playing, who's playing, who's gotten in the sandbox. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad my sandbox is next to yours right now. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'm in your sandbox. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. I love that though. That's an amazing book. Well, oh, and you know, I've asked her to be in my conferences before and I have not succeeded, but I'm working on it. I would love for her to speak on curiosity. Mm, wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. Elizabeth Gilbert, if you're listening. <laughs> Her team is responsive though. I, you know, I reach out to a lot of people in the field through the years yeah. and I have to put, tip my hat to her because her team responds. You don't know how many oh. vacant, you don't know if they got the email, if someone received it, anything happened. She has a great team. She's a great person. You can tell. Oh, how neat. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to move on to the word collaboration. Yeah, collaboration. So one of the things I think about collaboration is, and I don't know if you've experienced this in the classroom, but it seems like halfway through the year, there's this moment that arises if the community is really you know, built and children really feel belong and seen and it's safe, that this collaborative spirit spontaneously bursts there. And some of the ways that I see it is they're, they start creating their own games and their own rules. And it can be just nonsense. Like, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm the Superman and all of you are the bugs and I'm going to run here and then you're going to touch me. And then, yeah, okay, we're going to go over here. And like, there's not a fighting over it, but there's, there's negotiation. They're all invested in this collaboration mm-hmm. of play. And it always stuns me when it arises because prior to that moment, it's not there. And all of a sudden it just is there. They have the power to create together on the field of play. (laughs) And I think that's collaboration. And then I look at colleagues and I'm like, it's so hard to get that trust Mm -hmm. where you're willing to give up what you want for what the the group wants or that the group will hear what you have to say or all the things in collaboration is really, to me, it's about safe space and takes a great commitment to bring yourself fully to it. And I don't think our educational system creates spaces for true collaboration. They don't. It's, it's, I think more than anything, like if you're, if you're speaking to like more upper grade public school, it's more about keeping them apart than putting them together. And it, mm-hmm. I think COVID definitely made that worse. But um, I know when you're silencing children and telling them not to move and making them walk in straight lines and, you know, it's taking away that sense of collaboration. And I think, <clears throat> even just talking to you right now, this is collaboration. And 
I am learning so much. And I think when we allow children this time and the space to collaborate with one another or even colleagues to, if we have that time and space for them to collaborate, we are all going to learn so much from each other. It's so important. So I, I think collaboration is like a huge thing in any classroom or I mean, anywhere in the world, really. And in that, and the children have to have a voice for that to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think like, you know, I was in a, I worked, I don't know how many years, it's too many, but over a decade in public school. So I had to walk the children down the hall quietly, but I didn't use bubbles. I didn't, you know, we, we talked about how are we going to do this? And if they were really active and we didn't have enough outside time, then they'd come up with ideas of how they could do that. And we were joyfully engaged in that, right? Like I actually empowered them and allowed them to have a voice in how that looked. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had colleagues that would feed children Skittles to get them to comply, you know, and that's, to me, it's like, they're Mm -hmm. not little puppies. You know, I don't, I'm not going to give you, (laughs) it's so funny because sometimes they complain like, well, Mrs. Jones gives Skittles, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I look at him and go, and you're not a puppy, you know, I love you too much to give you a Skittle, you know, it's like to make you do something, you know, it's not what we're doing here. And, and they would laugh and I would laugh. In fact, um, in, in several of the schools I worked at, you know, the whole team would do something. And of course the whole team did I love this story. Uh, I worked there for four years. They do uh, St. Patty's Day, right? Mm-hmm. And the leprechauns would come and leave candy in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. Well, in my class, the class would be torn apart and there'd be no Same. candy. <laughs> the kids would go, and I go, well, you know, have you read anything about leprechauns? They're not nice. <laughs> They're <laughs> the not. other classrooms did not have leprechauns. <laughs> leprechauns do not leave candy they take the candy you know we'd laugh and read about but you know it's just like again not not treating them like little I don't know cute puppies or something I think sometimes we treat children with disrespect and I think we need to treat children with the same respect we expect yeah. you know like classroom management systems I think are shaming you know, red light, oh, green light. But if I walked into the lounge and exactly, know, Dr. Burke put me on red, what would <gasps> I do? Have you, Bye, I have, I created something. I put it on Instagram, uh, behavior chart for the break room. And <laughs> did you? Yes, I did. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's like, no, don't put behavior no. charts on the wall. Mm-mm. I would be at home researching for a new job I would be telling everyone who would listen to me what I thought about yes. Dr. Burke putting me on red, yes. you know? And so why would we do that shaming to children? I know mm. it's, it makes no sense. You know, it's like, again, <laughs> would it work for, you know? And again, the other thing is like, when you're really upset, when my beloved tells me, calm down, Sally, I want to go punch. <laughs> <laughs> You calm down. Down to calm down. <laughs> and so I think when we look at how children respond, I always try to put myself in their shoes to go, how would I respond? And why do I expect them to negate what they feel? Yeah. I wouldn't tolerate it, but you have to, you right. know, yes. why? 
And when you have those behavior charts on the wall or those other types of behavior management things in place, it takes away all the collaboration. It, well, and the other thing is, and I'll tell you the, the very, you know, the most uh, gifted moment of my life was that student that I wanted to not have the outbreaks he was having. Yeah. And my team was telling me, you got to do the red light, green light system. And they had the rainbow stick, you know, so it was mm. rainbow and there was all these different levels. And I finally said, okay, you know, I was desperate. Nothing yeah. was working. I was still in the fix it mode. And I remember he comes in the classroom and again, he had vi violent impulses. He mm -hmm. slugged someone in the face as hard as he could. And of course, based on what we had talked about when I introduced it, he was on red. Mm -hmm. And the minute I put it on red, the look on his face of shame, he muttered something like, what does it matter? But even more tragic was the look on everyone else's face mm -hmm. because they, because at that moment, there was a label in the room. Mm -hmm. It's labeling children. Yeah. Now everyone knows you know, Billy's on red, Billy, yeah. you know, what, what are they going to go home and tell their parents? Oh, Billy got on red. Mm. Billy's bad. And, you know, no child deserves that. They don't. And I think the whole idea that we have to, you know, again, that factory model who wins in that model are compliant children who conform. Yes. And is that what we're committed to? Mm. Why? Mm. Right. Does respect maybe provide something more than just compliance? Because if, if you have relationship and that child knows you deeply care, and what about the child who has no capacity due to, you know, neurodiversity yeah. to comply? Yes. You know, it's, yeah, no, not good. So it was my one time and, you know, I can, I can say I, I got it to my bones. Why? you know, viscerally in myself, but it happened once and only once. And I apologized. It was a bad idea. How old is that kiddo now? And do you know where they are? I don't. And so that was 2008. So probably he's, oh my gosh, in his twenties. Yeah. But you know what? The other thing is I have to tell you about this particular child is, you know, when I, when I had all of this groffling with no, you know, because sometimes a child comes in, they don't have manuals. There's nothing that says no, this there's how not. this child operates, do this, this, and this. So you have to great. figure it out. Sometimes the parents are just as confused yes. as you are. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was groffling with it. And my idea, what was my biggest goal in the beginning was how do I keep the other children safe? So I wasn't, I was on fix him, keep the children safe. Yes. And so after these really you know, eye-opening experiences, I went, okay, I have to shift this because and again, I just put myself in his shoes and I began really standing beside him, looking at what did work and built on the strengths. What could I do that would work? And we did, you know, a bunch of different things that really worked. Um, but the next year, what really blew me away into this day, you know, I say he was my greatest teacher 
And I wouldn't be who I am sitting here with you now, if not for him. So I really want to acknowledge him for that. Um, but every day he'd come into my classroom and take my chairs down. Hmm. And he didn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't the kind of child that was talkative. Yeah. But he'd come over, give me a little hug, take the chairs down. It was his way of saying, you are my safe space. Hmm. This is my place. And we, you know, I would engage with him, talk to him if he wanted to, but it really, he just wanted to know that that place where he was accepted and I wasn't trying to quote, fix him yeah. was still there. Cause that only lasted a little bit of time. You know, mm -hmm. it didn't take long for me to get this model of dealing with neurodiversity is wretched. Mm -hmm. And how many children are shamed yeah. for something they have no capacity to change. It's chemical. Yes. My, my own son who's now 13 has, he's very neurodiverse and we homeschool now um, because the, the public, well, even private, we did public and then we went private. It was very, very difficult for him. I mean, there was times <clears throat> when he was in kindergarten, he tried to jump out of our vehicle while I was on our way to school because he, he did not feel comfortable there. He did not feel loved. He did not feel safe. And that breaks my heart that, oh. that that's what many children who aren't the typical, you know, regular developing, typical developing child, that's, that's how a lot of them feel. And we wonder why there's so many, um, mental health issues in our world. Like, what are we doing to these poor children? When you hear people say, oh, he's manipulating you, or, you know, I had people tell me when I was going through this with this little boy, he wouldn't do that in my classroom. And I look back on that and think that scares the out of me that you yeah. say that, what would you do to have it that he, he would have to, you know, literally dampen himself down. <sighs> so much as a human being that he's not going to irritate you because you, you think he's manipulating you. You know, it's like, I think that, you know, I see changes in the industry, which I'm really excited about, mm -hmm. but I think this is, we really have to educate each other on what it means to be human as a young child. Like they don't need that at this point. It, you know, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I had one teacher tell me that my son just had zero motivation. And I was like, really? Like, like that's why he wasn't, he wasn't doing well. He's just not motivated. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think that, and I think this is, again, I have to tip my hat to the Reggie Amelia approach of looking at the view of the child, the view of the educator, the view of the family and the view of education. This is, this is for me where things really can change. We are informed by the climate we grew up in. Yeah. And so, you know, I remember being a teacher in the beginning and if it got over a certain noise level, I'd feel like I was failing. And, it, you know, and I know it's because of that, you know, a good teacher, an effective teacher has yeah. quiet children 
yes. receiving all the bits of information being <laughs> processed through their systems. Yes. Yes. They're not human. They're just machines. You yeah. know? And it's, it's insidious. And what's so interesting, I love Seth Godin. I highly recommend I yes. read his manifesto on education. He's like my favorite go-to on education. Hmm. Um, and I've taken alt MBA. I've taken so many of his courses because I just love the man, but you know, I really think it's, he pointed out something that I hadn't thought of before that not only is this factory model of education, this processing of children as empty vessels that we, the teachers are giving them the information, but then the parents are successful if their child is compliant Mm -hmm. and conforming and, and getting good marks. And so it actually impacts the ego of the parent as well. Yeah. And there's something wrong if your child is not fitting in that system. And that's tragic as well. That is you know, tragic. Yeah, because it really it has, you know, number one, your child is, it, it, to me, is born fully loaded with their own personality, their own, they're, a, you know, we have the privilege of having them in our care. Mm-hmm. They're not me. And for my, for, for their behavior to be a reflection on me has, it has nothing to, you know, that, that's a, again, the same thing as a child's performance in school, having a reflection on the educator. You know, when I, the last time I was in the classroom, all the scores of the children were going on my permanent record. Like that's skewed. Like there, that like is. it's, it's so inhumane, especially yeah. for the child, because then the teacher's ego, the parent's ego are trying to force the child to meet these crazy, crazy conformed, yes. compliant marching orders. Uh, you know, it's so I think it's time that we we as Ray Pika says, we gotta cause a revolution. Yeah, we do. <laughs> you say you want a revolution. <laughs> yeah, we gotta do it. Yes, I do. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <clears throat> Let's do one more and then I'm going to throw my curveball at you. Okay. 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 Perfect. The last one is wonder. I know. Oh, this word. Wonder, of course. So I consider wonder a sense like hearing, sight, taste, touch. And I think I'm going to assert that wonder is one of the first senses within the organ of the brain that it's like babies, they see something flicker by and they wonder interest is engaged, like wonder sparks, interest is engaged. And it's what, what pushes development, nine month olds crawling towards what they're interested in. They're wondering about, you know, the child that's walking sees something, you know, and that interestingly, we just, we, we celebrate that in the beginning, but we second guess it when children get older. We do. Why do we do that? Because we're not looking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, I think it's that performance. You know, we want to see the outcome. And I I think trained eyes see the outcome, like the decision-making, the executive function, all of that, that that play develops more than anything else in the world. That's actually academic. And what, what the system is asking us to do is memorization. Yep. And, and, and Seth Godin also says learning is not the same 
as education. Right. And that's the confusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, do you feel, okay, um, as you grew older mm-hmm. and you were more in a traditional teaching capacity, do you feel like you still have the same sense of wonder as a child in that traditional teaching role? I had to literally, as cliche as it sounds, sometimes, you know, in my classroom, I'd sit on the floor at their level. Sometimes I had to put myself back there. Sometimes like I, I have to travel for me to, to like, if I really get in a rut, yeah. I get in my car. Like it, when I was in Oklahoma, I drive to Santa Fe, New Mexico, or to Taos or to, you know, the Grand Canyon, just to, to be somewhere that evoked that wonder. Mm-hmm. So then I could actually get interested in a deeper part of my own life. And, you know, I would love to be in that, the place where I can do that spontaneously where I'm at. Yeah. But I'm using the excuse for travel. <laughs> so I <laughs> yes. I'm that. not very good in life unless I travel. Yeah. Okay? Right. (laughs) So as you were speaking, I was kind of thinking about my own continuum of my path of wonder uh, in my own life and how you as a child, you wonder continuously. And then you get to like high school, college, like I didn't wonder Mm -hmm. about anything. And then uh, traditional teaching, like still there was not a lot of wonder in my life. And I think as soon as I found play-based learning, the wonder was back. And like, I have not stopped since it just fills you up with such a different energy that you just, you operate when you wonder you operate at at a higher frequency in life. And once you are like able to find that wonder again, find that play in life, like you don't want to go back. Like, why would you? So I think it's so true. It's so uh, it's like an up down thing, but I didn't even realize it until right now that like it was gone for a while. Now it's back and it's, I'm not letting it go away. And I'm going to travel I mean, more. Cause I need that too. I think, I think right? I need to get more wonder. <laughs> I will say that I was much closer to wonder when I was with the children. I will say that, you know, as you were talking, I really got present to I haven't been as close to it since I've been out of the classroom. There's nothing on the planet. Like, and that's another reason I'm moving back to my old stomping grounds for yeah. my grandsons who are early childhood right now, because yeah. there's nothing like being with children. Right. It's amazing. You're right. Mm-hmm. Because that's where they live. So, yeah, I think it, it woke me up watching children play like one of my favorite things to do is to watch it's to observe it's to be a play detective and see all the things that they're doing because that gets me going like oh my gosh like watching them wonder about things is like my favorite thing and then I am there learning right along with them most of the time it's it is like goosebumps it's truly like I just want everybody to know how it feels to be in that wonder place, to be in that playful. And you can't do that if you don't give children time. So, and I think the other thing, just to pull out a thread that you started that I think is an important one, the watching mm-hmm. of children. Yeah. I had a, I was trained as a Waldorf teacher in the nineties. And mm-hmm. so that was my first, and I'm deeply grateful. And Cynthia Aldinger said something to me. 
at the time that changed my life with observation. She said, attention is love. Hmm. And so when you're looking at children with joy, playing, deeply engaged and interested in it, you're not interrupting it. You're just watching it. That attention is such support for them. Yeah. Like it versus a classroom of the teachers not engaged. It's starkly different because it shows you care and children can feel our attention. Yes. So I think it's an important like observation is not just about the checklist or I'm observing. So then I can document and then I'm going to do this. No. Yes. Observation is an act of love. Hmm. I call it the pedagogy of love. Hmm. That's and that's, it's, it's, it's true to me. It's true power is the love it shares. Oh yeah. my goodness, <laughs> Sally, like, why did I just meet you? I feel like I needed, I needed you so long ago. Okay. Oh. Are you ready for the curveball? I love it. I love curveballs, please. Okay. <clears throat> Barometric pressure. Oh my gosh, of course. (laughs) I want to know your thoughts on this. Well, I think there's a distinct and complete impact. And to say there's not is to be a liar. Okay, tell me more. So I think, you know, I, in the classroom, I knew when a storm was coming Mm -hmm. before the storm arrived. Yeah. I knew when the moon was changing before the moon changed. Because I think that children feel that pressure Mm -hmm. in the atmosphere. And I don't remember what it was like as a child to feel that. And I don't, I I would say I feel it more now that I'm elderly. (laughs) 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 Like, I'll feel like my knees ache. I'm like, dang, Mm -hmm. the storm's coming. (laughs) (laughs) I remember grandma telling me that happened here. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But I think that we're, we are of nature. We are nature. We are human beings living in a natural world. We are a part of this landscape. We are a creature of nature. And why wouldn't children like animals, like, you know, any other tree or be responsive to the pressure of a storm or right. It's just natural, right? And to be responsive to it, like, it's just like, it's potty time. It's, you know, like why we people, and I remember teaching, like, it was always a big revelation. Oh my gosh, I knew it was your class crazy. Oh my class was crazy. A storm was coming. They could feel the pressure change. Ah! You know, it's like every, every time it happened, it was a big aha rather than just a part of being a creature of nature. Mm Mm-hmm. And why not just move with it? Right. Exactly. I think, um, I I'm totally on the same wavelength with you. Um, I, I read somewhere too, that, so, you know, like the tides, the tides change when, when there's storms or whatever, and it's because of the gravitational pull somehow changes with the atmosphere. I don't know all the things, but, um, so the fluids in your body move differently. And so that's, yes, it's like a totally a biological thing. The thing that bothers me is when I see teachers using that as a scapegoat Mm. to not be intentional 
or collaborate with the children or give love. Um, so I or think explore that- how does it feel? You know, yes. my body feels a little w- wiggly, you know, oh, my, my knees ache now. How does it feel in your body? Yes. You know, and, um, you know, it, again, it's just, it's this natural occurrence mm-hmm. and why not build in this, this calm and, and acceptance and integrate it. It should be integrative yes. rather than, you know, this, ex- you know, I have no control. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. No, and, that's and it's not changed, it. Change the change the environment, not the child. So, like, that's it. Get them outside. Like, go be in nature, since we're all being affected by this natural occurrence right now. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and of course, it's the perfect thing to do. And I think it's interesting how much nature for some children adapt beautifully in the community in nature, and not so well inside. Yeah. And so almost like their need for spaciousness, like if we're energetic beings, you know, um, another thing my Walter, my Walter, Walter mentor uh, said was that, and I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the Nutcracker and Mama Ginger with her big skirt and all the children under it. Mm -hmm. And she said, we hold the, our energy field holds the children. And so that makes it exhausting, especially in the beginning of school, because you're adapting to holding the the space. You're always accounting for all the children and their safety, right? Like, you know, you know, when a child leaves the room and when they come back, it's a part of your awareness. You learn to see behind your head. You know, it's like you literally have your, if you will say your energy field is the whole room. Yeah. And and that um, children you know, I forgot my point in this. Sorry. <laughs> the nutcracker energy. I just feels. got lost in the nutcracker because oh I haven't goodness. seen the ballet forever. No, but I, I do think it's like the, the thing is when we, with our energy is that to honor children in all those spaces means we're, we're leaning into it and holding space with them rather than ma- blaming and making yeah. wrong and you know, it's like, it just, it's a beautiful image to think that you're providing space and that some children in providing them space need more space to exist peacefully. And that's outdoors, you know, the wild child or whatever that has more movement needs. Why can't we provide that and trust them that maybe that's exactly what their body needs? Yeah. Wow. Okay, Sally. So we're into, I mean, maybe barometric pressure fits within this theme, but the words that we went over were intentionality, creativity, collaboration, wonder. What would you say if you could wrap it up in one sentence is the common string, the common theme between all of those? I would say teaching is love, being with children is love. Beautiful. Love, 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 love. (laughs) I have vocal cord damage or I'd break out in song. (laughs) Get your Broadway in. Yeah, get my Broadway in. Yes. Sons of, oh no, listen to my voice. (laughs) The universe is like, don't sing right now, Kristen. 
the seasons of love is like one of my favorite songs. (laughs) Okay. So Sally, you have some cool things coming up. Tell all the listeners where they can find you. What some cool things that fairy dust teaching has going on. Just fill our ears with all of that. Yes. So you can find us at fairydustteaching.com and we have the free to play summit happening. I've been doing summits since in conferences since 2014. And it's one of my favorite things to do to really give platform to other people Mm -hmm. and to other voices. And this year is, I say this every year, I'm like, it's the best Best year year ever. (laughs) Yay. It is free. So you can go free for the first 24 hours. We have a kind of itinerary guide that you can choose and pick where you want to go. That gives you exactly what you'll get out of that session. If you don't have time, but to hit one. And of course we have upgrade packages where you can own it for life, but we want to definitely take care of you. If you just want to hit a few of them, we're going to help you choose that. So we will have, I'll give you the link for that. Okay. I'll put that in the so, show notes. So the perfect. link for the, for the free to place. I'm a, I can't do you, yeah. you've changed the name. I don't oh yeah. It was that. the pedagogy of play play first. Now it's free to play. play. I'm a creative, you know, I know like, <laughs> we always have well, to I, change things, <laughs> but I love that, you know, children, it's really kind of my global stand that children, all children, we should have play equity that all children have the freedom to play. Yeah. And so it's, it really nails it for me. It's like kind of that deeper intention. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So fairydustteaching.com. We'll put the link to uh, signing up for the free to play summit in the show notes. Woo. Anything else you want to tell us? I'm just so excited to have had this talk with you. It's amazing. It was amazing. We like Sally and I haven't really ever had a conversation. I think I, I probably I've been following fairy dust teaching for a long time. I've seen like things on Pinterest and on like blog posts that you must've written a long time ago, Tons. but I, yeah. I didn't really know who Sally was and we <laughs> recently connected and it's fantastic. And I feel like I should always play in your sandbox. Well, and here's the thing, because you are one of our missing speakers I for, know. The, for the summit. And I have to tell you, you just blew it out of the park. You are really you. exceptional and funny. Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> okay. The funny thing it. is, is I do not, I, I do not think I'm funny. Um, there's so many more people in my life that are so funny that I'm like, I'm not, I, it takes me a while to like, think of things. So like the funny that you see, it's just my quirky personality probably. Um, but thank you. Thank you for t- people tell me I'm funny. I, I really honestly don't feel <laughs> funny ever, but <laughs> and that's really funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, I am. So I, I like when I put my mind to something like I'm going to freaking do it. And so uh, I was like, I am going to win this. I'm going to do it. So I'm going to learn all the things about how to to speak. So people will listen. And so that's what I did. (laughs) It worked. It worked. worked. (laughs) Yes. Now you can teach me. Oh, just, just like Google. Well, there was actually a phenomenal book called, um, 
I don't even know what it's called. It's about, it's about every chapter is devoted to a different Ted talk and what that person did. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. yes. It's amazing. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Once I figure out the title of it, as long as, as well as all like the other TED, things we yeah, something about Ted talks. Yeah. Like how to, how to speak like a Ted talk or, mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, Sally, this has been fantastic. Um, I can't wait to have more conversation with you in the future and to record it for the, the summit that I get to be a part of. Yes. So thank you for that. And you have a fantastic day or middle of the night in Paris. Is it the middle <laughs> of the night there? <laughs> it's 10 p.m. Yes. Oh, is it? oh my yeah. goodness. Okay. This was fantastic. Thank you, Sally, for joining us. And you have a fantastic night. Thank you so much. Hey, I need you to do me a huge, 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 huge favor. If you liked listening and you want to be able to hear more, can you please go on to iTunes and leave me a five-star review? I would so appreciate it. And then connect with me on Instagram. It's learning.wild. We'll see you around.